Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the associate editor of Resonant Advisor. Our guest this week is Lawrence Bruner, the German producer better known as Recondite. Over the last few years, Bruner's made a name for himself with a style of techno that's smooth, contemplative, and a bit melancholic. He's had big releases on Dystopian, Intervisions, and Ghostly International, and has wowed audiences around the world with his sleek and melodic live act. In person, Bruner is reflective and deep thinking, which isn't surprising given the sound of his records. We met up at his apartment in Berlin to talk about his live act, his creative process, and his new album, Placid. You can find our full archive of exchanges on resonantadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. And Exchange with Recondite, up next. among RA readers, or the number one live act in, in our poll. But if I understood correctly, at least there was a time where you were considering no longer describing it as a live act. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, at least there was a discussion about it, not describing it as a live act anymore. In the end, we, we kind of left it open also to the promoters, how they want to advertise it uh, in order to keep it uh, kind of open. Because for me, the term is more or less relevant. I wouldn't say it's irrelevant, but um, it's also not that important. I mean, what I understand is that there is a difference to a DJ, obviously. But um, also, I have to say that for a live act, there is also a strong association for some people or for a lot of people to the technical side of the live uh, act um, and, and not and just partly also to the music but the technical uh, aspects play a very big role you know like setup gear equipment difficulty of sequences complexity of uh, cable wire routings stuff like that like also carrying luggage having the difficulties to worry about like luggage that has to be transported by airlines uh, which is not small enough to fit in the hand luggage uh, also the, the difficulty to to lose it so this is all these things are considered to be part of a life act and these are the things i don't deal with so have to agree if somebody is if somebody says that I'm not a hundred percent life act, let's put it that way. That I, I couldn't argue him somehow. 
I see myself as a life act in terms of uh, he's somebody who's playing only his own productions, 100%. He's uh, showing off a lot of unreleased material, which is unknown to the listener. He is varying his approach uh, towards how he's presenting his music to a, a, a DJ, like the way how the The, the setup in the computer, in my case, looks like is different than uh, a computer DJing setup would look like. And also the, the, the way of presenting the show somehow, how the, how the show feels musically um, to the people. So I think that the musical coherence, the, the experience, the musical listening experience for a listener um, in the audience uh, in terms of coherence is maybe stronger for a so-called life act because he uh, relies all on his own material so uh, they might end up being tied together automatically more because it comes all from one feather you know so um, a dj is trying to do that too but he's trying to do that with productions by many different producers so if he's really good he will end up being able to tie them together um, in a way that they fit but he's going to have a harder time because uh, he doesn't have only the catalog of one producer so the, the coherence might be easier achieved by a life act because it's all his stuff and this makes a, a show also I would say somehow unique because it has a little bit more of like a concert character like when you go to a Metallica concert, you know that you're gonna hear Metallica tracks all the time. If you go to a, a, a Recondite concert, you know you will hear Recondite uh, tracks. If you go to a um, DJ Hell DJ night, uh, you will hear many different artists. So, like from this perspective, I am a life act, but from a technical perspective, in terms of equipment and gear, For some people, I might not be considered as one. So, yeah, that would be my standpoint on that. What's taking place on your laptop screen while you're playing live or while you're performing, I should say? Basically, it's six or seven separate audio tracks, like not tracks in terms of finished songs, uh, more like in uh, basically channels, I would say. And... All of them have have a different purpose. I, I use two of them as basically kind of like uh, decks, I would say, as a DJ does. So these decks um, have full tracks in them, like WAV files, released and unreleased stuff. Also a couple of edits of also tracks that have been released, edits that I made as like a new production those tracks have certain loops inside that i um, either arrange beforehand or i change them while i play so in order to maybe just play a little part of a track or to start at a uh, at a place uh, in the track which is further back That's kind of like how a DJ works as well. Then I have uh, two more tracks that use samples. Some of my field recording samples I used also in my productions. 
Then um, also some vocal samples. Uh, I took off mostly uh, certain um, TV or movie clips. Also a couple of like one shots. That means like, uh, for example, a looped bass line that I excluded from, from, from another track, maybe just the bass line or just the snare drum. And then also a couple of uh, full tracks that I usually cannot really integrate into my live sets. Like I would say some of my hip hop tracks that have a completely different BPM than uh, what I play on a regular dance event, which I somehow integrate in a way that would not be that you wouldn't even recognize it as as, as the, the track that you know it for because the BPM changed so drastically, but still it can be used like as a tool uh, to mix into another track. The next track, number five, would be um, would be a drum rack that's uh, like basically a, a virtual drum machine somehow. Um, I use a little controller for that. Uh, there is a, a little pad controller by Akai and um, basically I have certain clips uh, available that have certain uh, drum sequences uh, ready um, that play, for example, toms, snare drums, kicks, hi-hats, rims, etc. And then I can also trigger them on the pads and play them if I, when I, whenever I want. And This gives me the, the, the option to sometimes, especially if it's a big venue that I play, to fill a track up, basically, uh, when it comes to percussion. Because usually my tracks are quite clean and quite uh, minimalistic, in the, especially in the uh, percussive structure. And um, it's, uh, when I play a very big room, it, it is definitely helpful to, to fill up that big room a little bit with more percussion. And then I have a channel, a last channel for, for basically noise that has different noise samples, mostly um, also field recording stuff, uh, then just a basic white noise. And I have a filter on that and I control all that with, uh, with uh, Allen Heath MIDI controller. And then I would send out these channels through my uh, Universal Audio Apollo sound card. I have three uh, separate outputs that I would send into an Allen Heath uh, X192 mixer. So I have separated signals, which gives this, uh, a certain quality to the level and the general output quality. And um, then I do the mixing on the mixer. So I basically mix outboard, if you would put it that way, meaning... Uh, I don't mix inside of the computer, I mix like outside the channels that come out of the computer, which gives me a pretty pretty strong signal, I would say, in terms of punchiness and cleanness and loudness, which is, believe it or not, sometimes in a club or at a big venue quite important, when, especially when you play before or after uh, DJs who use CDJs, because the CDJs, you know, either if they use it, with USB sticks or, CD, or CDs, they have a very, very loud output. I mean, there's room for criticism for this uh, leveling. I totally agree, but uh, if, if you have to deal with a certain uh, circumstance, you might have to adapt. Otherwise, you should possibly maybe decide not to play at certain areas. Why did you arrive at 
such a laptop focused uh, setup? Or, or why would you prefer to, to perform that way instead of a more, you know, so to speak, traditionally live kind of setup? Basically, when I started to first make a beat in general, like the first steps I did in my producing process were heavily influenced by a, by a friend uh, I still have who is into analog hardware and techno producing since a longer time than I am. He basically introduced me to this world. He showed me how a mixer works, how a synthesizer works, how a drum machine works. And I spent weekends at his house basically just doing stuff that I had no idea of what it was, basically turning around on cut-off uh, uh, knobs of a filter on a synthesizer and... Yeah, he just step by step learned me, uh, taught me how to how to use these instruments, and that was great because I had this really practical experience of learning the basic techniques of synthesis and producing. He used the laptop only for recording at that time, so we had Ableton running, but he didn't use it as a, a MIDI clock. He only used it as a, a recording tool. So basically, I, I really had fun doing that. I enjoyed learning the technique and i was very interested that's why i always kept on doing it with him and we had a really fun time and then i i obviously the next step was i decided to also do it at home so i he only had time at the weekend so i wanted to do some music also after work uh, alone at my home so i bought stuff basically stuff that was uh, very influenced by what he had like i bought a, a mackie mixer like a 1620 i think it was I bought a, a virus synth, I think it was a virus B. I bought uh, several Yomox drum machines, uh, 888 and the uh, and 09, like the one of the first ones, also an M-Base. Obviously, I had a lot of cables lying around. Uh, I bought a couple of desktop synthesizers, uh, some old synthesizers, like also a DX7, for example, uh, which is digital but still hardware. Yeah, and then I, I, I kept on going. I, I tried to, to work on, on stuff and suddenly I realized there was a little difference between him, him and me. We both had a, a kind of like a passion that we shared about the, the process of, of working on, on these, these things like gear. But someday I realized this passion is comparable to a passion that has to do something with playing Lego. You know what I mean? Basically, we played together as two boys, and that was super fun. I totally loved that. And um, we built stuff, we, we changed cable routings. It was really super interesting. And at home, when I was suddenly, I missed my playing partner. So it, I'm not saying that we played music basically together, like like jamming together like a band or like a, like a proper two-people life act to really go off like... On, on machines together and they really jam and something good comes out. It was more like the process, you know, like cabling, setting up synthesizers, like change, changing like chains of like what put we in front of that. If you put that compressor there, how does it sound? And like basically like technical nerdy kind of stuff. That was the process of playing that we had. And, and then at home, I, I missed this playing partner. So I, I started to focus more on the content of the music, like... I realized that there are certain, emo certain emotions that I really, really cherished in terms of feelings, atmospheres, um, harmonies, uh, expression on a cerebral 
level that I really loved in music, like way before I started to do, to make my first beat, like, uh, like, like for example, in hip hop or metal music, you know, like certain melancholy, which is like my, my personal, um, one of my preferable moods. And I realized, ah, okay, there are actually ways to reproduce feelings that I have with music. That's, then I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That's some, that's like next level. That's something I never experienced before that I can actually express myself with something um, uh, that is basically um, producing music. And um, I was really, really fascinated by that. Actually, I'm still very, very fascinated by that. By the fact to um, to basically just make music in order to express emotions. That's... Um, non Non-verbally as well. Non-verbally as well. Totally non-verbally. Like no lyrical content content at all so and this idea basically i got totally hooked on that idea like ventilizing and expressing certain emotions which i'm not maybe sometimes even not really 100% aware of like in a term of that i know okay now i today i feel super sad i make a sad song or happy and then i make a happy song but stuff that is going on is subconsciousness and Basically, I sit down to make music, I start and it happens, basically without real intention. And long story short, I realized that in my personal um, viewpoint and in my personal taste and approach, my possibility and my direct line in between getting stuff out of my subconsciousness and having this emotional output the line in between that and the final process the end product like the track is much shorter if i don't have to take care about technical stuff and issues and if you have a lot of cables and you feel midi and you have a lot of different machines you will have to deal with that and if you have fun dealing with that that's a great thing to do for you but for me it was more like a hindrance and i just wanted to basically sit down connect to the computer with my brain and let it go and let it happen and just make beats and make music and not think about it and basically be non-physical just fingers finger movements no turning no looking and then in the end more or less or more often or less often have a good result and uh, that's why i more and more took the approach to laptop and like i said in my interview with ableton live uh, i think last year my favorite thing would be to to sit down on the couch have a device that i put on my head with like a like a rift you know like oculus rift and and some sensors that connect to my brain and i would just sit there close my eyes do nothing not even have to move the mouse anymore and i control the whole ableton live in my mind and and i press keys on the keyboard with with my mind and i play music like that and i completely put my physicality aside and i basically just drift off mentally and then i make music this this is somehow my my perfect imagination of the music making process so to answer your question directly and now it comes to my life set why i chose this laptop heavy approach on my life set so now I, you know how I produce. Now you know how I, what happens in my studio and why I do music, why I do music. So basically, why should I bring a very different approach of producing 
like with a lot of hardware, a lot of gear, a lot of instruments and cables. Why should I bring that on stage if I don't even do it at home? You know, so that wouldn't make any sense. That would be a total show off. Like I would be like super cheap because I would think, okay, people only take me seriously if I have like a Umox drum machine on the on the desk uh, when I play out in a club. If they see just standing in front of laptop, they they will not like my music because they think I'm I'm super not real and stuff. Um, and yeah, so if I would do that, um, I would feel kind of. Uh, cheating somehow because it wouldn't be honest you know so i chose the way how i can produce or reproduce basically show the people um, my music in the best way possible without compromises on any technical issues in a way that I have the feeling it's the most coherent and most music-based performance that i can do and in the end i mean you realize it it's it's a very common quote but uh, it's it is about the music when i play It's not about really my persona or my face. I mean, obviously, I stand there and I show my face. I mean, I, I'm not the type of guy who would stand in behind a mask. I show myself and I have no problem with showing myself. But in the end, it's about the music. When the people go there, they want to listen to my music. I close my eyes a lot when I play out. And I kind of drift off too if I really enjoy it. And I, I would like to... Uh, get this feeling to most of the people in the audience you know that they close their eyes and that they really go get into a very groovy and very like cinematic mood and they pick up the vibe that i try to settle and if that happens it's usually perfect and that's the whole story behind the, the approach something that you touched on is um that your music is a way for you to set aside your physicality can you explain that a little bit yeah um I would say that my life always has been influenced by physicality a lot. Uh, my dad was a successful, um, how do you call it in English, uh, javelin thrower? Yes, yeah, the same. Yeah, he was like a youth champion and he was in a very famous team. And in the end, he decided to, to go on on a regular job because he would have had to change his life dramatically. And he also grew up in the low Bavarian countryside. And and it's it's a pretty big move to do that, especially in the age that he was. But he was very, he was very athletic and he kind of influenced my early life in a very positive way also in being athletic. And I always was in sports team. I played soccer and football in Europe and... Uh, I was in a karate uh, team and I even played American football for a couple of years. I was in a basketball team. I was very physically active and I'm still very physically active. And I have to say, during school, in the very theoretical um, subjects like math, chemistry, also physics somehow, I was struggling. Um, I also had to change school for a couple of times because I also wasn't the best student, uh, not just in terms of behavior. I never was like a bullying uh, schoolboy or uh, something like like that, but I wasn't really studying enough. Let's put it that way. Like, And I, I got also like some problems with changing schools and stuff. And at, certain, at some point I had to decide where I want to go and... The only thing that always kept me going was kind of like physicality and sports. And then, you know, I grew up, like I said, in, in Lower Bavaria and the close to the area where I grew up, there is like a big, it's called Beda Dreieck in Germany. That means like 
bath triangle and this triangle basically consists of three important small towns that have like hot springs like sulfur hot springs somehow like this rehab tourism like going there staying in a hotel get fit somehow treat your health also like some somehow wellness and and there is obviously a lot a big market for like physical therapists doctors uh, massage therapists and stuff and so i decided to go to physical therapy school so that's already like a physical uh, approach and then suddenly everything worked out quite well i started to kind of get interested in these subjects like learning about anatomy in a very profound way also learning about physics in a very different way like applied to the to the human biomechanics i kind of understood why i could learn that why why i could sit down and watch a book for 10 hours in order to understand something which i didn't know before so i kind of developed this drive and also this yeah this positive point of view about studying and then i studied that i learned that i made the the exam and i finished and i got the degree and I worked for a physical therapist for 10 years. So physicality is just that big part of my life. I'm still working out not as much as I used to because I'm I'm touring and I have to also adapt to that lifestyle. Uh, I cannot work out that hard anymore because at least 30% of the working out process is regeneration. And if you're touring a lot, uh, your sleep cycle gets... Uh, I don't want to say the word, but it gets really fucked up. F exactly, and and then uh, and then you just can't regenerate from a hard workout that doesn't work. It's basically you get sick when you make a really hard workout the day after a long tour and not a lot of sleep and maybe even a little bit of alcohol. You can also I can also say fifty percent that I will be sick afterwards because it's just the body is done and it doesn't have time to regenerate and it's not a good idea. So I don't work out that much anymore. But still, it's a very big part of me. If I don't move, I get definitely depressed, like 100%. So that's the that's the one part of my life. The other part of my life is an is a emotional, cerebral part of my life, like a certain sen sensitivity that I have um, that uh, developed out of, like I would say, genetics, out of my parents, out of, out of the region where I grew up, out of what was going on in my family, how how they are, like their characters, how they treated certain things, how they talked about certain things, what kind of things they liked, what they taught me. I developed a, a strong sensitivity about almost everything, um, sometimes even too much. But I also think I, I have a certain sensitivity when it comes to music, also in terms of understanding music by other people, sensitive music, And now I developed skills in order to express myself and to kind of translate this sensitivity into frequencies. So basically what I'm trying to say is that my, my one life is very physical. So my emotional, cerebral life, I don't need it to be that physical. I, I rather want to focus on the mental things. So basically physical movements would even maybe distract me. So I kind of try to separate that. It basically makes it also easier to focus for me. When I move and when I work out, I'm very focused on how I move, how to improve certain disbalances or weak spots in my body uh, in order to prevent injuries. And when I do music, for me, it comes out of my head and out of my brain. So I focus on that. Yeah, I've read before that you have kind of an unusual 
I wouldn't say lack of respect, but for you, the idea of playing, uh, like playing an instrument just isn't important for you. It's just music. What's important is your music just coming out as accurately as possible, but without an actual instrument in between you and the music, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I had guitar lessons in second grade <laughs> and that was definitely a fail really like i said like that's also connected to the problems that i had at school sometimes in general you know just the system of having to learn something and that was always difficult for me that seems somehow arrogant but like when it really got a little bit tight and i had to do something i did it and i always kind of made it out alive with a couple of bruises but in the end with It's it's like the, the, the story with the guitar lessons is a very good example. I it just was too theoretical for me. Like, you know, with those letters on a piece of paper that show the guitar sides and basically you need to learn the finger grips and it there's no emotional approach to this at all. Like um and it just wasn't the right way for me to get into that. You know, like I told the story of the guy who told the friend of mine who, who taught me about the gear. We, we, we somehow had this connection and it was kind of natural that I learned the techniques of how to use synthesis and producing techniques by basically playing with a friend as a child. And that somehow made sense to me. That came natural to me. But somehow learning instruments a lot of times is something very theoretical, very dry, very... Um, Yeah, you just have to stick to it. Emotions don't really actually matter. It's about the finger skills and it's about the consistency. And yeah, it's going to be good for you in the end. And I didn't really understand this approach in terms of especially music, which is so emotional. And I wouldn't say that I don't have... I mean, I, how, who am I to say that I don't care about uh, learning instruments? You know, like uh, that. that's really not how I see things like... Uh, You know, if I go to a classical music orchestra and I see like amazing string players, I, I'm I'm very very uh, astounded and amazed, and uh, it's beautiful to see that that skill and the reproduction of amazing compositions in a perfect way. You know, that's really something very very special to see. But they might reproduce emotions but they don't produce them. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't reproduce emotions. I would rather produce them. And I chose the easiest way to kind of compose. And that's nowadays definitely the computer because it gives you all the freedom. You can do everything. You can compose a metal song on the computer and then you, you maybe send in a couple of uh, uh, e-guitar players who, who play the riffs that you wrote uh, or even for, for orchestra. You know, you, you, you can you can do everything. Um, you can you can do the sketches on the computer, and then if you really want to have real instruments, you can order people who learned it as a, a skill to play what you composed, and and that's what's really interesting. And so I see myself more as a composer than a, a, a musician in the terms of a, of playing an instrument. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you have this. Um, to me, a, a significant part of your personality is um your constant urge to further optimize uh, whatever <laughs> you're doing whether it's an individual task or your lifestyle overall so yeah i find it interesting that 
the way you make music is it's largely driven by you've come to the conclusion that this is the most direct, most efficient way of expressing your inner state. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's, I, I don't know, maybe some people would say that's German. <laughs> Possibly, you know, like a lot of my friends kind of have the same thing and we don't even realize it. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, also something that I really actually realize in the, in the Bavarian area where I come from. They, they also, they sometimes even too much, you know, like the, the, the perfectionist. You know, it's really sometimes uh, exhausting because for them, I'm actually like uh, that free spirit, you know, <laughs> that floats around and, uh, you know, is somehow is now somehow like landed in an area where he can do his thing and kind of survive and make his living. Uh, but in the end, uh, for them, I'm somehow a modern hippie. You know, but it's very structured in the end. But maybe they work at BMW and they have every day the same shift and they try to improve like engines. Like every time, every year, is new 7 BMW and it's like laser made and perfect. And i7 or i5, like super electronic BMW, and it's like constant. Yeah, it's somehow, it's, I know what you mean when you say that. And I totally understand it somehow. I, my, I don't even see myself like that so much because actually I'm quite like how should I say this like that what I do more than trying to constantly improve something is to stay on the road that I've taken I like to sustain something and I like to keep on the track that I chose and to to really consistently follow the route that I've taken and the idea that I've chosen to be open for several uh, compromises, of course, but rather than just permanently optimizing it, because I'm actually working on the same setup since years. <laughs> like my Ableton setup doesn't really change that much, but the content changed definitely, but the way of how I do it doesn't really. I mean, obviously I have to buy a new laptop sometimes, you know, because the other one is getting old and the new version of Ableton Live doesn't run anymore on the, on, on the computer. But in the end, I'm, I'm pretty consistent with what I do. And that's, I think, the more accurate description. Also, I'm struck by how it seems a big sort of goal for you in, in the way you make music is sincerity in a way, or is, is a, the, you're going for the most honest expression of kind of what what's in your you know inner existence how much would you say that's a priority or how much do you think about that versus say like do you ever sit down with the goal of creating something uh sort of like novel or different or is it more just you want to express yourself um as honestly as possible yeah that's an interesting question i have to say um to start with honesty in general i'm definitely a person who thinks honesty is one of the most important things in life when it comes to a personal approach to life i know that it can be too much sometimes honesty and that you can also step into the wrong uh, i don't know hole or whatever um, when you're too honest because people can take advantage of that but in the end I still prefer to be honest than to be dishonest. 
If I have to be dishonest, I'd rather say nothing. And I actually don't like to say nothing. I'd be rather honest. So this approach also comes in the music. And I like my music to be very... Some, somehow the, the artist name, Recondite, gives you an impression of uncertainty, blurriness, etc. All, all the things that this adjective means. But that's just an explanation of what kind of feeling that I have in, inside of me a lot and that I put out this name and this adjective and this explanation of what is going on inside of me is kind of honest because it's the truth. Like what, what, what drives me, the kind of emotions that was, that's inside of me is basically what I, wanna, what, to, what I want to express. So when it comes to, to for example, making music for, I don't know, maybe if I would make music for somebody else, like, let's, let's talk about this scenario. And uh, I wouldn't even like place my name. I actually don't know if I could do something which is completely against my belief. I actually don't think so. I didn't even try it yet, or I wasn't in the situation yet where I had uh, basically a job to do, which led to making music for, for a different person, basically something like maybe ghostwriting, which was intended to be a style or output in a, with, in a completely different atmosphere or emotion that I ever could really authentically feel like so I, I don't think that would work actually I, I don't think that I could do it maybe I could do it if I would really force myself but I don't think if I I don't think I would want to do it because I don't think it would be good in the end it probably would be average I could imagine and that's not good for anybody so they might, might even not take it in the end <laughs> because it's just not honest and it's not it's not really there yet where it's supposed to be so yeah, honesty is also very important for me for me music. But I have to say that all all the music I released so far is totally honest. That's also diff interesting topic maybe for some for some uh, listeners. Like some might say, okay, like what Recondite did on the first Plangent Records, that's my thing. I totally like that. But what he did on 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 Ify or with track Levo that's not my thing totally not or somebody says cleric was my tune i played it a lot it's super hard but yet melodic somehow industrial but all the other stuff like the old plangian stuff no man that's too cheesy that's too melancholic too slow too soft somehow and then somebody says yeah drgn hot flush that was my tune but uh, what he did on hinterland on ghostly I don't know, it's like dull, it's nothing really. You know, that's all good. I like this kind of diversity for everybody. Maybe I have something, you know. But it's these. all of these things are all honest. I have all these emotions inside of me. That's definitely nothing that I did because of some purpose. I wouldn't ever have put out anything of that if, if I wouldn't stand behind it. Because, first of all, I wouldn't have thought about thought of the quality it had in my personal subjective subjective point of view and second of all i wouldn't have been okay with i wouldn't have agreed upon putting this into my catalog you know of 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 music what i did in my life which kind of came out and saw the light of day so i totally like the diversity 
of feedback that I get of my tracks because I get good and bad feedback on all of my stuff that I did. And this is basically something that I really like and enjoy and also appreciate. Like the, the positive and the negative feedback on all the different things I did. So next year, for example, I will have, I will add another shade to the variations of my music that I, the variations of my favorite atmospheres and certain schemes and um, shades and colors of, of, of the music that I like. And then there will be another part of, of my kind of story, which will maybe draw people from even a world which is not even connected to electronic music or techno. And then some of them will say, oh, that's a really great album. But the stuff he usually does, I don't know, like that's too much bass drum and too straight rhythm. I don't know, like too heavy somehow. So yeah, that's good. That's diversity. Would you ever say to yourself, if you're sitting there making music, would you ever think, mm, this is too this is too similar to what I made last time, or this is too this, or do those kinds of rational thoughts enter your head, or do you just, you know, go with the flow? Yeah, I go with the flow, and then when I have done something, when I have finished something, I have these thoughts. Like, for example, I, I still do tracks that would totally fit into the early Plangent catalog. I still do tracks that I could easily put into the perspective or into the style that I had on Ify. Like a little bit more happy variations of my, my style. Or I still do sometimes um, even harder tracks. But maybe then I do them only for using them in the live set. And I think, okay, but honestly for a release, it's nothing that adds some diversity to my catalog. It's basically the same. Maybe I, I realize sometimes that some people even would like that if I would do that, you know, just keep on doing the same all the time. And that's why I also see the, the, the reason and also the, the positive aspect in maybe doing something like my upcoming album Placid. You know, it's basically it's a sequel of On Acid. It, it will never challenge on acid and it should never challenge on acid because on acid is on acid and it's my first album ever and it's uh, something really special for me and uh, and it's it's a concept album about the 303 sound and placid is also a concept album about 303 sound and it's somehow a, a continuation of the first album but it's not the same it's a sequel but it stands for its own and it should get its own judgment. But yes, it is very uh, related to the first one. It's funny, I never, um, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I, I never heard it that way that placid includes the word acid. <laughs> Did, is that intentional? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you know, like some, some word play, I would say. Yeah. What is it about the... 303 sound that um, you like so much also the diversity like the the ability to use it as a really aggressive annoying sound and also using it as a super soothing uh, calm mellow and full pile of frequencies so did you say pile of frequencies yeah interesting the, the instrument and what it puts out has 
a very wide range of frequency as well. Like it sounds good in the higher frequency range and it sounds good throughout the whole frequency spectrum down to the low end. Like even in the middle mid area where you play usually melodies, you, you can totally use it. And you can also use it as somehow as, as almost like a percussive instrument, like in the higher frequencies and obviously as a perfect bass instrument in the lower frequencies. So the, the diversity is what I, I totally enjoy about it. The emotional diversity um, and also the practical diversity. Yeah. So naturally you don't use a 303 um, to make the sound you're using. Um... No, I use the, the ABL abl baseline it's called uh yeah it's abl is the i think audio lab is the is the brand it's like emulation and it adds some features that i personally really enjoy uh, especially for how i use use it for example if you use the instrument as a pad i think that the way that the programmers designed the abl adds a lot of sustain and release and it also lets you take away a lot of the attack of the sound so it almost lets you play like pads and really soft lines so this is a really interesting new shade that they added to this instrument and it's also something i really like to use a lot in my acid productions this is a little bit of like a layperson question but um if you're not using a 303 or you know you're not using the classic 303 what defines the 303 sound like what are the the defining characteristics of mm. 303 sound well on some tracks you'll hear the original intention of the synthesizer i think i don't know so many acid tracks by by other producers but uh, for example yeah let's take tie in for example as one of the most famous tracks of, of mine uh, in terms of acid tracks, you hear that it almost sounds like a string instrument, like p being plucked, like being kind of played as a guitar. As far as I know, this was the intention of Roland, the manufacturer of the machine in the 70s, I think, to basically give the user a tool where they can learn other instruments by like either guitar, bass, or even drums, and basically let them give them the opportunity to basically have a second bass player next to them who plays a line and they adapt to the line. So they just basically jam together. And and it was like a tool to simulate the bass player. And you hear this on some acid productions that you could say, actually, yeah, somehow it is, um, yeah, it sounds like being plucked. It sounds like kind of uh, a guitar instrument, like uh, if a finger would like play these lines right now on, on a string instrument. And then suddenly, uh, you know, with all the options that they had on the synthesizer, like with all the envelope changes of the, of the sound, like how to make it sharp or to make it long, and also the filter action, like how just to modify the frequencies, to take out lower frequencies, to take out higher frequencies, and to amplify one certain frequency of the of the of the output, there suddenly a certain color came out with the instrument, and this color is, I would say, the characteristic of the instrument, and it is something unique, as how you would say 
the sound of a train going on a rail with moving into the train station and is basically stopping and giving a loud quirky high-pitched noise of metal rubbing against each other just as anything is has a certain characteristic that's the 303 characteristic and it just came out i think also somehow unintentionally that certain characteristic that's also what makes it special too you mentioned that placid is a sequel to on acid what was different about making this album versus on acid or i guess versus any of your other albums what set it apart in terms of the creation process? I have to say that the creation process was very similar to the one I had on, on Acid. And the approach was very similar. The production process, the arrangement process was very similar. In the end, I think it was also even about like how long I needed for the album is about the same when you calculate that on Acid basically only had six tracks that I did and two remixes by other producers. And now Placid basically has 10 tracks on the album, all tracks that I did, plus the pre-EP with um, Limber, which is totally exclusive of the album, and Undulate, which is basically a, a EP version. And on the LP, there is the LP version. So the production process was not really different, I have to say. Um, it was the same idea, the same approach. What I say, what I would say is different uh, somehow is, is the emotionality on, on certain tracks is a little bit different. I would say that Placid is a little bit more Placid. <laughs> it's not just a clever name. <laughs> yeah, so Placid, the name also somehow makes sense because... It's a little bit more, I would say, um, it's, the mood is not as dark on some tracks as on Acid was. It's a little bit more calm and bright, I would say. So this is just the emotional content of it. I mean, there is also, like, for example, the track Compel on the, tra on the album is quite dark, and there are also some some sad melodies on it but a lot of the tracks have a little bit more of like a i would say soothing kind of melancholic uplifting atmosphere on it so that was basically just what came out while i did it so i didn't intend it to be like that i it just came out like that yeah you've been releasing music fairly prolifically or this is your third album and as many years, right? No, four, um, fourth album. Fourth album yeah. in four years. On Acid, Hinterland, Iffy, and Placid. Right. How much time do you get to spend making music, say, every week? And how much of what you make in your sessions you know, actually ends up on a record? I, I get to make music quite a lot still, although my, my life changed and I have to take care of a lot of things, many more than I used to have. But I also get more and more people around me who help me, which is also great. And I'm also grateful that they keep stuff off my back in order to help me to keep on making music. Because if I'm at the point 
where I can't do that anymore, I basically have to quit. That doesn't make any sense anymore because that's why I'm here in the first place. So, so basically you mean you're playing a lot more gigs and you have... Not just that. Also like organizing stuff around that. Just the travel schedule already. You know, even if you have a, a travel agency that you're dealing with, like a company that you basically hire, uh, that they take care of your travel schedules, but still you have to kind of decide how long do you want to stay where, what kind of routings make sense. Is this actually like a, a good idea to fly from, I don't know, Munich to Tokyo after five gigs, after directly after the gig at 6 a.m. in the morning without sleep to go to a 10 hours flight. So to think all of these things is also like occupying. And then also private stuff. Like for example, right now uh, we are moving back to Bavaria um, basically in December and we have to decide what kind of stuff we want to have in our house and uh, how we want to organize everything like uh, do we have to get a truck or you know just personal stuff also and then also uh, other projects like for, for example I'm putting together a, a compilation for Plangent with 10 different artists at the moment I'm just collecting the tracks right now and also this is very nice work i have to say very interesting work where you you, you get an insight into a different kind of world when you listen to music by other people that they kind of made and that fit into your world somehow which is really interesting to see but it's also like you have to put an effort in there you have to make your thoughts about it how does it make sense how would you like the cover to you know basically the job you know all, all what you have to think about and also want to think about all i'm saying is that i have more things to think about right now than i used to have so and in order to still have the amount of time to make music which i need because when i'm at the point where i don't won't make any music anymore any new music anymore the whole thing stops to make sense for me i need some people to help me and i, I i'm lucky that i have them and yeah that's how i organize the musical production life at the moment basically try to get time for it and then if i have it i will keep going as long as i'm inspired and yeah so far i didn't stop how do you think moving back to Bavaria will affect your music? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the whole thing started in Bavaria. Like my first production steps started there. And also my first finished tracks where I saw that this is going into a certain direction. I finished them there. Basically, I realized that it's not so important where I am. I can also make music on the plane in a hotel room somewhere. But it's important that I have time to do it and it's important that I somehow um, feel secure so that my life basically is halfway in order. So that means I don't have no serious struggling going on, no, no, really, no, no disease for my people around me and myself, basically no bad kind of life-threatening circumstances. So I guess when I move to Bavaria, my life will improve in, in a way that I will definitely have it a lot easier after a tour to disconnect from that world, to suddenly 
dive into a very different world. And from my experiences, and I have to add that we spent a lot of time in Bavaria, also in the last years, like at least every second month we, we went there and stayed there. And I just realized that my regeneration process after a heavy tour is getting much faster when, I, when I'm there than as when I'm in Berlin. I have to say, I, I already miss Berlin somehow. I was here almost for eight years now and a big part of my personal life development, not just regarding music, obviously also regarding music, but not just regarding music, changed here and developed here. And I have a lot of friends here and I have, I have my little shelters like the forest where we went to when we talked about Hinterland. But I know that I can always come back here and I, my job also ties me to here also with the connections to Dystopian, which is good. But somehow I feel that it's important to be closer to my family again and to be closer to where I grew up because it just gives me so much more energy in terms of regeneration much faster. In Berlin, sometimes I need three times as long to regenerate after a heavy tour. Something else I wanted to ask, since we last spoke a few years ago after that interview, you started touring quite a bit more. And even back then, you were kind of wary of the implications of the touring lifestyle. I mean, you're an extremely uh, health-conscious person. And this having this balance in your life is is very um, essential to you. So how have you found it um, a- adjusting to the heavy touring schedule, and how how do you um, reconcile that with the emphasis that you put on on healthy living? First of all, you have to know what you need and how your body and your mind works in terms of maintaining positive or. A, like a neutral state of mind and a, a, a good state of physical fitness. So basically you need to determine what kind of factors have to be fulfilled in order to in order to, to stay in a, in a shape physically or psychologically that keeps you going in a sane way. So you have to ter- determine that and then you can start to Try to adapt, try to work on the factors that lets you achieve what you need, what you determined that you need. And that takes some work. That takes also some strength in order especially to also make this philosophy that you, you made for yourself understandable for the people that work with you. Like, for example... If you work with a booking agent that that wants to basically book you a lot because it's his job, I mean, he would be stupid if he wouldn't, obviously. And you are, you know how the music business is. When you are requested, you are really well requested. And if, if nobody wants you, nobody wants you. Mm-hmm. You know, like somehow it's like there there are those few artists who are lucky that are in between, who kind of manage for years to to kind of stay on a certain level that maintains and feels good but um, for me at the moment at the moment I'm lucky I have a fairly good request for my bookings and still I have to say what 
is important for me in my life. So basically, for example, I decided that I cannot play shows uh, if I cannot play, uh, if I cannot sleep minimum six hours in between. So I told this to my booking agent and there were few discussions about it. I had to obviously explain him why, because sometimes it's easy not to sleep and go to the next show and play it um, and just have one more show and one less sleep of one less night of sleep. But that stuff makes me depressed, so I cannot do it. So I had to determine it and say it, and then it had to be done. And that's one of the factors that uh, explains how I kind of managed to, to make this life uh, that I'm in as a touring artist uh, right now worthwhile for me. Otherwise, I couldn't do it, uh, and I, I would lose my personal uh, physical and mental stability. And... I cannot risk that, you know, for what, you know, like that's the basic foundation of why I'm here because I, uh, because I try to, you know, make music and um, like fulfill my idea and, and, and I know in my personal subjective case, it's like this, if I can't maintain my, my balanced state, I'm not able to, to work in a, in a proper way that um, also satisfies me and then also other people, of course. So and this comes to you know also working out on tour. Basically, I, I try to have also hotels close to a park, just easy stuff like that, which you can easily adjust. Mm. You know, just when you are aware of it, or that you that you set to yourself like some priorities. You know, like you have to sleep, but you could also stay at the after party. <laughs> you don't seem like an after party guy. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's fun. If it's if it's it's if it makes sense, you know, like if I'm uh, I have the full week off afterwards, I I can basically somehow afford to go there. But if I have to play other shows the next day, it's it's just getting too much for me. But again, there are people who can take it, hmm. obviously. Also, very close colleagues of mine, <laughs> and I admire them for that sometimes. And I know some of them are admiring me for being in the gym uh, the next day. <laughs> But that's how everyone is. Everyone is different, you know. Like uh, that's also how what priorities you set. And uh, the people I deal with are professionals. They know what is good for them, and they um, they act uh, that way. And also do I. And obviously, everyone's a little bit different. Do you ever feel misunderstood? Like if, you know, you're having dinner with a promoter and you're um, not having anything to drink or does it ever feel like uncomfortable to, to have this approach in the, you know, world of nightlife and techno? I have to say rarely because I realized that most of the promoters and colleagues are quite understandable because most of them have been in nightlife for quite a while. And they know how it can be. I made the experience at the beginning when I didn't, when I was also a little bit younger still, and I was dealing with younger promoters who were maybe not that experienced. They had sometimes different expectations, which I can understand, but it doesn't ha doesn't have happen so often anymore. Usually, the 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 people that I'm dealing with on the job level 
they they know exactly what I'm talking about, and they also kind of appreciate that I do it what I that I do what I do because, you know, it doesn't really happen that I show up at a show like completely fucked up. You know, <laughs> that's <laughs> it can happen. It's also part of this culture somehow, and it's also nice. But in the end, a promoter who is putting a lot of effort and money into a show. He he prefers you to show up sober somehow, you know, like it's in the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I don't really get any hard feelings about this this lifestyle. Like some of them are even positively surprised. Most of them, actually. 